Blog Talk Radio.
Jane. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, and that song was written and performed by a guest that I had on the show a while back called Glass Hamlet. If you haven't checked his music out, go and check it out. I want to welcome every one of you to the show tonight. This whole week is going to be filled with amazing guests, as always. And you know, y'all just keep on keeping on. I say this every every show, and, and I know you probably get sick of it, but I really don't care. This is not my show. This is your show. You, the listener, you, the guest. And because y'all have taken ownership of this show and you run with it, ladies and gentlemen, just on this show, just the show by itself, on Blog Talk, we've reached 122,624 listeners. Okay, let's let that sink in. The show's not even two years old, and we have reached 122,624 listeners. Now, when you add iTunes and YouTube and iHeartRadio and Spotify and Podcast.com, Spreaker, Stitcher, Podcast Garden, MixCloud, FM.com, Tune in radio and reverb nation. We've reached over 200 countries, and since I haven't run the numbers on the podcast lately, I would venture to guess that we're looking at the front side of 160,000 listeners. Okay. Yeah, I know. That's, that's a lot of people listening to this show. That's a lot of countries that my guests or being heard in. It's powerful. Some days it gets overwhelming. And I want to thank all of you, guest, listener alike, because this is something that I mapped out five years ago, worked on it for five years, and then got where I could not go to events anymore because most of you know my husband is very, very ill and will never recover. So this is my outlet. And I wanted to bring people along with me. I felt like it was important because we pay it forward. So when I put the call out for guests, my Facebook blew up, my email blew up, my instant messenger blew up, and people bring people back. People contact me and say, I heard about your show. How do I get on it? I love it. So since we are already booking into December and time is getting short, there's two ways you can get on the show. And I don't care if you're an author, a music artist, you have a platform, you have a passion, you have a political agenda, I don't care. This is what this show's about, so I'm going to call it Off the Chain. You contact me at offthechainradio at yahoo.com. That simple. And I will tell you, if you want to run an ad for a month, it's ten bucks. No matter how many shows I have in that month, I run your ad. If I have to reschedule a show because something has happened with my husband, your ad follows the reschedule. So you don't lose anything. I'm not in it to make money. I'm in it to help you succeed. So contact me, either to be on the show or to place an ad, be a sponsor, and get heard in over 200 countries on all these podcasts and all these other areas that you might not be heard on. And with that, the two, two of the sponsors that I have that have been with me forever, and I absolutely adore them, one of them, her book went number one in Australia because 
she's been running ads on this show. And her name is Diane Moat, and she has a series out. It's a Sam Holden series. The first book in the series is called Dog Gone, and the second book in the series is called Dog Fight. And it goes something like this. Wherever a helpless animal whimpers in the dark, and whenever the system fails to protect said animal, she'll be there, and she isn't giving up anytime soon. So you've been warned. When Sam Holden receives a tip about a brutal dog fighting ring, she embarks on some of her most dangerous acts of vigilantism yet. The monster known as the puppeteer circles Sam's world while she unknowingly circles his. And while they chase each other, will that put Sam will Sam put those she loves most in harm's way in order to break up the ring? With time running out and animals in need, the dangerous life Sam's created begins to eclipse any other life she could ever lead. So go on to Amazon Kindle, ladies and gentlemen, and look up Diane Moat, Dog Gone, and Dog Fight. The second sponsor I have, who has been with me forever, her name is Cece Chamberlain. And she has a podcast called Inside Your Life with Cece. This is a motivational, passionate conversation where she interviews people who are trying to live their true purpose, whether it's a professional boxer, an author, a history enthusiast, she doesn't care. Cece strives to give you hope for a brighter day with her inspirational words. So download, subscribe, and listen as Cece guides you to pursue your dreams for you to live your best life. Her fantastic podcast can be found on podcast.com, iTunes, Google Play, and everywhere that podcasts are available. So remember, ladies and gentlemen, two ways to get on the show, either as a sponsor or as a guest. Off the radio, off the chain radio at yahoo.com, contact me because I don't have a whole lot of shows left in December. We have completely filled up the year. We're going to start rolling into next year, and that'll be here before I turn around good. So with that being said, tonight we have another wonderful guest who has been waiting, it seems like forever, God love her, to be on the show. And I am so humbled and so grateful that she has been patient with me and is now with me because this woman is absolutely amazing. I don't know how she crams her entire life into a 24-hour day, but somehow she does. Her name is Jeanette Pelton, but she writes under J. Traveler Pelton, and we're going to discuss why later on in the show. She was born in West Virginia in the last century. Now, for those of you who do not understand what the last century means, that means before the year 2000. She is is the nation's mother for her tribe, the Muncie, Delaware, which just jumped right out at me. She is wife to Dan for 44 years, mother of six adults, a grandmother of eight, a clinically licensed independent social worker, an adjunct professional of social work at her local university, and an incessant reader. Now, just with her being an adjunct and an independent counselor, I don't know where she has time to read, much less write. She is a cancer survivor, which is very close to my heart, as all of y'all know. She avidly studies science and technology, fascinated by the inventiveness of people. Jeanette is quick to draw parallels in different fields and weave stories around them. Traveler is a fabric artist. See, now I'm going to use these interchangeably tonight, so y'all bear with me. She is a fabric artist, 
and her most enjoyable time is spent spinning yarn while spinning yarns for the grandchildren. In other words, she's spinning yarn while spinning tails, which is so reminiscent to year because that's how stories were handed down from adult to child that carried on the traditions. And with that, I want to welcome Miss Jeanette, a.k.a. J. Traveler. Welcome to the show, my dear. How are you? Yon and Joyce, I am just fine, Yvonne. This is a lovely day. It is a lovely day because we are still on this side of the dirt. Yes, that's true. Anytime you're this side of the sod, it's a great time. I'm telling you. So let's step back into history. Okay. and And let's talk about your journey because... With the the pen name of Jay Traveler, there is a reason for that. Now, yes, when you yes, were a a young child, did you always want to put pen to paper? I started writing my first story when I was eight years old. Wow. I was eight. I had a magnificent teacher who thought to teach us spelling words by making us turn the spelling list into a story every week. So every week. Mrs. Campbell used to make us say, okay, here's your ten words for the week. Now you write a story about them, and you have to use all ten words in the story. And that started me in a lifelong quest to write the best story I could. So a long time ago, eight years old, and I got my first thing published when I think I was 14. Uh, you, re- I don't know. Do you remember Highlights Magazine? It's still out there. Yeah. I yeah. published at 14. I one of the little kids' stories. And set it to highlights, and lo and behold, they sent me an author's copy, and I was hooked. And from there on, I've been writing ever since. When my kids were little, I was a stay-at-home mom, and so I wrote stories for kids, and I sold over 400 stories because I did not want to work outside the home when my kids were little, so I started writing and selling stories. And that's how I made money on the side while my husband worked full-time. So I've been writing for ages and ages and ages. And like I well, said, I was born in the last century. <laughs> yeah, as was I. So I I get it. Now, what I find interesting among many things about you, you were mm-hmm. born in, in West Virginia, and to me that is one of the most beautiful states in the Union. We went through West Virginia on our way to New England, when our granddaughter got married in Pittsville, Mass., and we stopped at Harper's Ferry Landing. And and I could have just forgotten the, the wedding and stayed there because there was something so peaceful about that state. It reminded me of Georgia. It reminded me of home in, in, mm-hmm. it, in the mountains, and it's just so peaceful and so calm. That... My grandma it's, used to say that when you're in the mountains and you climb up the top, you're closer to heaven. Because amen. you can see like the good Lord sees it, stretched out all in front of you. And there's something different in standing on a mountaintop and looking out and standing in a tall skyscraper and looking out. Because when you're standing in a skyscraper, generally you're in the middle of a big city and you're seeing all these big buildings that man has made, and they can't compare with what you see in the mountains. You are so, so yeah. right. Started. <laughs> now I now I know why I get homesick because 
as much as I love Florida and as much as I love being near the, the, the water and the ocean, I miss being able to find a mountain and stand on top of it or get lost in one of the old cemeteries or get lost in one of the old battlefields where you can commune with what's there. Yes, you can feel the closeness. Yes. It's a a wonderful thing. And as a Native American, um, there is a closeness that I feel when I'm in a place like that. And I can look up to the sky and I can say, Creator, look what you made for me and look what you made for my people and all the other people. Why can't we see it? Why can't we and see speaking, it? Speaking of your people, how did you get to be the nation's mother for your tribe and how did you get the name Traveler? Because that's the name that you use as the nation's mother, Correct. Yes. Um, The reason I was called Traveler is years ago when I first started finding out about being Native, because I didn't know. You see, in West Virginia, up until 19, I believe it was 78, it was illegal to be a Native American. They simply said there were never any Native Americans in West Virginia. And if you were silly enough to say, I'm a Native American, like put it on your birth certificate, up until 1978, they could ask you to leave. And they would in some places, which we all think that's crazy today, but look at the law books. That's what they could do. So my grandmother, my great-great-grandmother, was a Native American, and her husband knew it. He was a white man. And um, my relatives never talked about it. You know, it simply wasn't done. And even after the law was changed, it just you just didn't talk about it back then. And I was at a family reunion. Oh, my kids were little. And oh, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, and somebody brought up Crazy Grandma Birdie. And I said, who's Crazy Grandma Birdie? And Mama said, don't talk about it. <laughs> and I said, Mom. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, okay, that just got my interest up. And so after we got back from the family reunion, I said, okay, tell me now, who's Crazy Grandma Birdie? She says, well, we don't talk about it because she was an Indian, and sometimes she would go outside and she'd sleep outside, and sometimes she would sort of talk to talk to the woods and stuff as she walked here. And I said, this is really cool. Do you got any pictures of crazy Grandma Birdie? And she said, well, I've got one. And it shows her sitting in front of this cabin um, next to my great-grandma. And my grandma was a baby in her arms. And I said, and, and this was my native. What tribe, Mom? She said, I don't have any idea because we didn't talk about it. So that wasn't passed down. I said, oh. So I started studying genealogy. And I started trying to trace back my family tree. And I started going to powwows and trying to learn all I could about the natives who were in this area. Well, with the help of a dear lady who I worked with, um, she was a Latter-day Saint. And she said, well, we had genealogy out the wazoo here. I didn't know that at the time. I said, well, here's what I know. And she said, okay, here's I'm going to go see if I can find anybody. And she said, in the meantime, you pull up, and she gave me a couple genealogy programs, and I started working. And I finally settled in and said, okay, she came from here and traveled there, and I was able to trace it back to finally I found as far back as I could go was about 1816, and I had a uh, relative who was in a battle. And everybody was killed. He was a 14-year-old boy, 
and everybody was killed. And so they took this kid and they gave him to Quakers, and the Quakers raised him. And, of course, they changed his name. And I was able to trace back and find out that I was a, a Shawnee. And then I thought I had it set down and found, you know, everything settled. And then when I studied some more, I found that, no, he wasn't a Shawnee. He was a Delaware, a Lenny Lenape, who had been, his mom had been Shawnee, his dad had been Lenny Lenape, and traced it down. And then I started saying, okay, now I need to find a tribe. And in this process of going to powwows, finding tribes, studying people, I met a dear woman whose name was Evening Rain, and she said, you know, you have traveled so far to find your people. And she said, I'm not going to call you Lost Bird because too many people are called Lost Bird. That simply means one of the ancestors who we don't know who they were. And she said, but I want to gift you with a name, and I want you to be called Travel Spar Woman. Now, in our culture, you are gifted with names that match something, some attribute of yours. And she said, you've gone so far to find out who you are that I'm going to call you Travel Spar Woman. And when I enrolled at the uh, Lenape tribe here in Ohio, everybody started calling me Traveler because it's easier to say than Travel Spar Woman. And it's like, okay, I think I'm going to use Traveler as my pen name, and everyone just calls me Traveler. Now, as to your question as to how you became nation's mother, after you're there a certain length of time and you've learned, uh, I'm one of the tribal storytellers, and you've learned the stories and you've learned all about your tribe and the traditions and the customs, then the tribe can start giving you offices. And, well, it's sort of like voting you into things. So generally you become a clan mother, and then there's three clan mothers. And then after your clan mother, after some years, the nation's mother is usually the oldest lady in the tribe. And at one point I ended up being not the oldest, but the oldest lady couldn't possibly do it because she just had health problems. They said, well, why don't we have you be the nation's mother? And along the way, you know, while this is going on, I'm going to college. I got my bachelor's in social work, my master's. I got my licensure. And I ended up being uh, taking studies and becoming a social worker, a, a certified Native American social worker, which means I can help with my own people when they have trouble with, like, children's services, adult services, things like that, they'll call me and say, what do I do next to get these people away from me? And I'll say, okay, where are you at? And I'll take the information. Sometimes I've had to appear in court. Sometimes I just write a letter. Sometimes I just give them advice. And so I'm sort of like the social worker that's on this side. I had to take studies from folks out northwest because they have, like, the Center for Social Work out there. But that's what I did, and that's how I ended up where I am. And that's why I'm called Traveler. Amazing. Mm-hmm. That is, you should write your own story. Well, I probably will at some point. I have about three nonfiction books, about eight fiction books out so far. When I, all the time that I worked, you know, after my kids were old enough and I went back to college and they're all in college stuff, I went back to work. I went to work as a social worker, and I have my private therapy office here. But all those years that I worked for for an agency, I kept saying, you know, I've got to get back to my writing. I'm so busy, I've got to get back to my writing. And so I was just keeping, this sounds old-fashioned, all those guys don't laugh at me. I kept all these three-by-five cards of ideas. And I would listen to interviews as I'm driving between houses and places I had to go, and I would I would say, wow, that's interesting. I'm putting that fact down. And, well, I'm put, and I had this, it wasn't a Rolodex, it was just box after box of cards that I kind of organized around ideas. 
And when I retired from the agency, I said, okay, I'm going to get the first book down because that's going to be fun. And and I've got this one all mapped out in my head. I write a little different than other folks. I, I talk to other writers. In fact, I have a writer's group that meets at the library of others that are learning to write, starting their books, and, and we just kind of encourage each other. And I had this one all worked out in my head before I started to write. And when I started the first line, it's like it just went. And my biggest problem was I'm too wordy. And I said, okay, this is 140,000 words. Nobody's going to read 140,000 words. So I said, <laughs> I'm going to go through this four times, and each time I'm taking out another 10,000 words because people don't read War and Peace anymore very much. It's, it's too big. <laughs> so I, each time I went through editing it, I made sure I cut it and cut it and cut it till I finally got it down to a usable form, and I said, yes. Now it's good. Then I started having my friends read it and saying, what do you think? And then I started having people that weren't my friends that were just professional editors and stuff. Did Okay, some grammar things, we'll fix those, but this is cool. And that's how the conspiracy happened. It was all in my head, and I didn't have to do a whole lot of study because I knew what I wanted to say. It had been building for a while. The books that I've written are called The Generations of the Oberlands, it's actually three trilogies because as Native American, we try to look for seven generations. Seven generations ahead, what is it going to take to keep our world alive, to keep our people alive, to keep ourselves in a good place? And so I'm saying, okay, this is seven generations of this family that I've invented. And after the first one, which is present generation, there's three books in that section, there's past generation, and then there's future generation. And so I've got a couple books done in the in the past. I've got three books done in the present. I've got a book done in the future. You know, I'm getting them done and edited and sent out as quickly as I can because a lot of people are having a lot of fun with them and they're saying, "What? You've only got 5 books out. Where are the other three? <laughs> There's four. They're coming. They're coming. I'm writing as fast as I can." And it's it's like they just kind of flow and I'm already starting to map out the next set of trilogies when I'm done with these trilogies. Because I just enjoy it. I've wanted to do it full-time all my life. And now it's not exactly full-time because on three days a week I'm in my office working with people and doing service to people. That's how I see my profession is I help people heal the hurt that they're feeling inside. I don't fix broken legs. I don't take out gallbladders. God bless the medical profession. But what I do is I sit down and I try to get people to stop hurting because we have so much pain and people are so lonely. And, and very often they just need someone to listen. And, and to, that is true. And, yeah. and let me run two ads right quick, and then we're going to talk about that a little bit because we were talking about it a little bit before we went live. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, with my guest, Jeanette Pelton, who writes as J. Traveler Pelton. And she is, uh, I could just sit and listen to her all night long. She is so amazing. So we will be right back. Stay tuned. Do you have cougars on your porch swing? Are horses your new best friend? Do your nicest shoes get buried knee-deep in snow as your toes turn blue? Are you bothered by wolves at your woodpile? No, not that kind of wolf. Join wildlife artist and author Nancy Quinn and her family as they discover an exciting new life in Go West, Young Woman, a true Montana adventure. Available online and in bookstores. Or visit QuinnWildlifeArt.com for a personalized signed copy. 
Critics agree. It's a hoot. Hi, this is Winona and Jade inviting you to join us and our wonderful guests on the And I Thought Women's Cave podcast on Blog Talk Radio to learn more about our books, the And I Thought series, and the Misfit Guides. They're available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNobles.com. Or just to see what your ladies are up to, you can find all of that out on www.andwethought.com. So peace and love from Winona and Jade and our books. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, you know, so silly. You silly. Remember Did you write that? That's funny. <laughs> Remember to visit us at andwethought.com. And we are back with Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, with my guest, Jeanette Pelton, who is an author, and her pen name is J. Traveler Pelton. And no, y'all cannot go yet, because if y'all go and look for her books, you're going to miss all the good stuff. Jeanette, before the break, we were talking about healing people in your profession as a counselor. And I am a firm believer that the body and the mind and the spirit work together. And if we cannot get our mind and our spirit in sync, there's no way that we can heal the physical part if it's not well. And you are so right. I have medical doctors who I work with. They refer people to me who have chronic pain conditions because there are ways that we can teach people to take control of their body back because very often when people are in chronic pain, and I mean physical pain at this point, they just kind of give up. And they just say, oh, it hurts so bad, it hurts so bad. Somebody give me a drug. And it's like, no, you have to take your body back. You can't let the pain own you. And it's the same thing with mental and emotional pain. I have folks come in um, when I'm doing couples counseling, and I'm sort of like, you're hurting each other, and there's no need to hurt each other. You should treat each other at least as good as you would a clerk at Walmart, for goodness sakes. You know, uh-huh. you treat stranger better than you're treating the person you were supposed to love forever. And I talk to children, and this is the one that hurts me the most, is when little kids get bullied at school. It drives me nuts. And I teach them how to stand up and look a person in the eye and not be victimized anymore. There are too many victims out there that don't know how to stop it. So it's all these people that I work with. I do this three days a week and not more than that a week because it's kind of draining, to tell you the truth. Oh, and I you're a better woman than I am. And um, I feel that God has helped me. A lot. I could not hold together without him. I could not possibly do what I do because he sustains me while I'm working with different populations of people, with different purple people who hurt different ways. And so what I have done with my practice is I'm very upfront with people. I say, you know, I am a Christian. I am a believer in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, you know, if you're not, that's okay. But know that I'm going to be praying for you anyway. Because I believe that helps. And I have seen so many amazing things over the years. Um, Just thinking back to uh, people that come to me, and I have the hospital call and say, we need to send somebody into your office now. We know you're there. Do you have space right now? And I'll say, what's the matter? And they say, suicidal, and they can't go to the hospital. They're full. They can't be sent to this hospital, that hospital. But we don't think they need it. We think they need to talk to somebody, and they'll send them over. 
It's like, okay, I always leave holes in my schedule for emergencies. And I'll bring them in here, and they tell me these tortured stories. It's worse than soap operas if you ever waste time watching some of those things. I said, you couldn't write a book about the pain you're feeling because it's just so unreal. And very often. And they can't always identify why they are feeling that emotional and mental pain because they don't always recognize what has happened in their lives and that they have allowed other people to own them. And other people, other pain, other things, and they don't know how to get control of their own lives back and take it back and live their life fuller, live their life in a better way. And so I use everything from stories because... As a tribal storyteller, I've learned all these wisdom tales, and sometimes I use those to try to help them understand, hey, you know, that reminds me of the story of the beaver. And, and they'll look at me and say, what? And I'll say, listen to this little story. I usually tell children, and I'll shorten it up quickly and say, and see, this is what you're doing. This is what you're doing, and you're hurting yourself on purpose. And they're like, we never looked at it that way. And I said, no, I, I can tell you didn't. Now we need to look at it a different way. We need to reframe what you're thinking. We need to change the way you do. We need to change the attitude, for instance. I have parents who come in with kids that have problems, and they'll, they'll either try one or two texts to say, here's my child, fix him, <laughs> which drives me nuts. Or they'll come in they'll say, we don't know how to cope. We love our kid, but all these experts at school, and you know, they're all telling us what to do, and we're so confused. And I'm like, okay, let's let's break it down. First off, there should be a team of people. If you have your own team of people working, you should be having coordinating meetings where you all decide what you're doing and nobody else is trying to take over your lives as the parents and your rights as the parents. And secondly, let's make sure you know what loving a child like this is like because it's hard. It's hard. There are children that are difficult to love, but they're yours, and you must reframe it in your head and say, I love my child. I don't love the tantrums he's doing. I don't love the fact that he just busted every window in the house with a BB gun. I, I don't love the fact that, you know, he's dangerous around other kids and they're they're isolating him in school. I, I don't know what to do. And we go through it and say, okay, let's break it down. Let's look at it. Do you have any idea why the child is doing this? Is there a physical reason? Have you seen... You know, what doctors have you been working with? What have you been doing? And it seems like nobody agrees in some of these cases. I'm thinking especially of families that have autistic children and children that have Asperger's. They're saying, my kid, I have to make sure when I'm shopping that I get shirts that don't have labels because if there's a label, he can't wear it. I I can't buy denim. He doesn't like denim. It makes him itch. And it's constant, all the needs. And you have to break it down and say, look, You've got to step back a moment, look at your child, look at your family. What can we do to make them all work better without a lot of outside interference? What can you do to make yourself feel stronger? And I work first on their strength and helping them to look at their child in a different way so that they can work with that child. And And, I think it's a blessing to work with this. And what what we fail to understand, and, and I use we in the and the generic us as a society is when there is a child who is unique, 
Mm-hmm. They cannot always articulate. Children, as a general rule, cannot articulate what they're feeling because they don't understand it. But a child who is unique cannot articulate it because, A, they don't understand it, and, B, trying to form the word sometimes is tantamount to moving a mountain. Yes, and and that's why we use Fawn Works With Me, my daughter, um, she has two master's degrees. I have one master's degree. I say, you know, between us, we have like 40 years' experience. It's strange. But that's why we work with uh, play therapy. We work with art therapy. We use clay. We use sandbox materials. We use drawing. We use crafts. Whatever it takes for that child to feel comfortable with us. I, I had a child, oh, last year I was working with, he was scared to death to come back because everybody told him I was going to shrink his head. You know, oh, my kids word. People, shrinks you know and the little guy had this image of like cannibals and hanging heads and it's like no darling we don't do any of that here that's not the craft we use here you know so i said okay mom why don't you sit in the first session so he gets used to us and it took him two or three sessions to realize hey we weren't scary people and we do that fawn's really good at it and we get them we read stories to them i've got a huge library there's a lot of wonderful therapy books that are written specifically for children i'm always getting them adding to the library because in specific instances we read different books to them to help them to start the discussion in a child that's like has selective mutism they don't talk and so we will read them a book and then we'll say draw me what you think about the book draw me a picture sculpt it here in clay i've got play-doh here show me what you think and they gradually, gradually work it through. I have a playhouse that is full of furniture and little dolls. It's Melissa and Doug, great stuff. It's almost indestructible. And very often we'll bring a child in that's hurting, and they can't tell you why they're hurting because they're scared to. Um, and I find with the kids that have been physically or sexually abused, it works really well. They'll come in and they will act it out in the playhouse. I think one of the tragic things is when I I come in and I'm just sitting and I watch them play and they'll take the child that is portraying them and they'll hide them in a closet or I had one kid that hid them in the bathroom you know they they set up the house themselves and then they they put people in different places or if they're frightened of someone that'll that person will be represented by like a dinosaur they'll put in a room or if they're afraid to talk about something they'll whisper it to the dolls and uh, some of the puppets we use. It's all a way to reach them where they are so that they can tell us where the pain is and we can kind of forbid this, allow them to lance the boil of the pain, so to speak. And after that, they can start healing. There are so many traumatized people. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's sad that it's like this in our country today. No one should have to go through what some of these children I've worked with do. And, so, and the sad part is adults, in their infinite stupidity, sometimes really honestly think that they're helping when all they're really doing is driving that child deeper into the dirt. When they say things like, why are you so stupid, or you know better, or you can do better, or don't act like that, or you're not this way in Instead of just taking that child and saying, you're here for a reason, 
you're here to teach me something and embracing that child where they are in life and saying, if the rest of the world doesn't accept you, you accept yourself because you are okay just the way you are. Absolutely. You are God's child. He put you here. And there has to be a reason you're here. Now let's look and help you figure out what it is. And let's look, Mom, why do you have this child? And Dad, why are you this way? You know, we have to make sure they know that you love them. You, we know we need them to know you accept them, even though they're different than all the other kids in the class. They're different than the next-door neighbor's kids. And you need to be so attuned to your child, so attuned to your wife or your husband, that when they're hurting, they can't put a facade up and say, oh, it's all right, because it's not. And you drive it deeper in you, and it will come out as physical problems. Mm-hmm. And very often the doctor and say, this person's in here and they're having recurring headaches, recurring stomach aches. We've done all the tests. We can't find it. And we're referring them over there. And it's because the mind, the body, and the spirit is not in unison. Something is not balanced. We have not reached equilibrium is what I like to say. Something is not where it should be. And I'm not a physical doctor. I'm not a medical doctor. But if a doctor has ruled out everything with his tests and stuff and says, I think there's something there, there's a trauma, there's something, then it's up to us who are therapists and social workers and counselors to figure out what the trauma is, bring it out and help the person look at it and throw it away. Get rid of it. It's the boogeyman in your life that you've got to chase away. It's the it's the thing on your shoulder that whispers in your ear and says, you're not good enough. Okay, we need to get rid of that, that thing on your shoulder. We need to make it so you stand up straight and can look out at the world and say, the world is a beautiful place, and I am good, too. So I am enough. What I, do. I am enough here. So that's what I do in my, quote, professional life. <laughs> I do a lot of other things. I, and, and, yeah, you, you, you are, what is a, um, a fabric artist? Oh, well... <laughs> If you weren't in Florida, I'd invite you over to my mini farm to meet my alpaca. I have oh, alpaca in the world. And what I do is my poor husband, who is long-suffering, has been with me for years, once a year we shear them. I take the fleece from the animals. Each animal makes about, you know, they only weigh about 130 pounds, about four pounds of its fluff. <laughs> and we take the fur, the, the fluff, so to speak, and I send it to a mill where they wash it and process it, and they send it back to me as what's called roving. And then I spin it into yarn, and I, I give the yarn to my daughter. She makes beautiful things. I sometimes make stuff myself. Um, and it's just this is one of my passions is making beautiful things. I generally don't sell them. I generally give them away. I give them to friends. I give them to relatives. I also like to make quilts, and all my quilts are different. I design them all separately. And I generally have a person in mind when I make a quilt and say, okay, he's going to love this. I can't wait for, or the latest one, oh, my, they're getting married, and I know her favorite color is this and his favorite color is that. And I blend it into what I feel this is going to match for them. And uh, I'll start about three, four months ahead of time, so I have time to patchwork it because I do patchwork. I used to do applique, but I have arthritis in my fingers now, and the stitching is hard, so I do patchwork. And I make quilts, and that's all part of being a fiber artist. 
Um, we have a, an actual little web page. We call the uh, Spring Haven Mavens. It's my myself, my daughter, my granddaughter, because we all do different kinds of fiber work, and it's a lot of fun. you got to send me that link so I can go shopping. Okay. It'll be fine. I, love, I, am, I am passionate about handcrafted because my grandmother taught me to sew when I was five, and, and she and my other grandmother made beautiful quilts, and she made my clothes. She made my, my daughter's clothes. So I have such an appreciated, appreci- I can't talk tonight, appreciation <laughs> for handcrafted items because of the love that goes in every stitch. Hmm. And I enjoy it. It's it's one of the ways I get to relax. Like when we take a vacation, my husband always laughs because he says, "Wife, Patton could have moved the whole army with what you've got in my pickup truck right now." And I said, "Well, yes, but I needed my spinning wheel. I needed that. I I needed. I take my sewing machine. I've got this like uh, little wheelie thing that puts the sewing machine in. I have all my patterns all cut out in Ziploc bags." Okay, this one's going to this relative, this one's going here. I'm going to go piece it while we're sitting there looking out at the ocean waves on, on the deck or wherever we are, I'm going to be sewing. <laughs> and everybody says, but you're supposed to, you're here at the ocean, you're supposed to go running out and get bit by a shark or something. I don't know. I sometimes wade around in it, but I just like to look at it. You know, I find it very soothing. I do too. And so I find it, 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 it's very soothing and it's very, um, it it calms my mind. Yes, that's what it does. And so I will sit and sew and enjoy and relax. And everybody else is going berserk, riding up and down the boardwalk. And I'm like, yeah, I will go on the boardwalk one afternoon with you. But the rest of the time, y'all have fun playing miniature golf and with the grandkids and stuff. I'm going to be right over here, and I'm going to see how many of these squares I can get put together. I generally get I generally get a couple quilt tops done in a vacation which is fun, and I will spin up a bunch of yarn and uh, bring it back, and then we have to process it at home. Uh, once you make the yarn, you have to set the, the twist and everything so that it doesn't come apart when you're knitting it. And then I'll say, okay, what are we going to do with this one? You know, What color am I going to dye it? I love to dye my yarns. I have uh, five different colors in my little alpaca herd, and I, I like to blend um, the yarns and the colors I, I just find it fascinating. These are all hobbies I do. That's why I'm a fiber artist. So I do that, too. And uh, as I say, I do my books, and and I do my business, and and I tell stories at powwows. I was at a powwow just this last Friday where I, I ended up. I hadn't planned to tell stories. I was just going to the powwow because it's fun. I like to see my friends. I And they said, oh, can you? would you mind? You know, after the first set of everybody dancing, could you come in and tell stories? And and I said, well, sure, I'd be glad to. So I was there telling stories, and, and my my friend Wandering Lynx was running around. She has a clipboard. She's trying to keep everything on, on time, which is funny because Indian time, nobody stays on time, but she's trying to keep it organized, bless her good soul. And we were having a lovely time. It was It was enjoyable. And then it got really, really hot the next day, so I wasn't there the next day. Since the the cancer, I had I have problems with temperature, mm-hmm. and when it's too hot, I can't breathe. I mean, it's like oh, this is dreadful, and I have to go in. But um, eh, that's one of those things. I'm glad I'm alive. It was 12 years ago, and they said I probably wouldn't live another 10 years. It's 12 years, and I'm alive, and I'm doing fine. 
You sound like my mom. My mom is a 20-year cancer survivor, so I understand that every day is a new day. Yes, it is. Every day that I wake up and I wake up, that's good. One of these days I'm going to wake up dead, and that won't be so good, but I wake up alive <laughs> every day and i good. What am I going to accomplish today? i got to get out there and do something. So we are getting pretty close, but I want to give the name of your books. And, okay. Um, before I do that, the the first book, ladies, no, y'all can't go yet because I hadn't even given you the name of a book yet. But the first book is okay. called The Infant Conspiracy, and it is the, the present generation. It goes, Noel and Violet Oberlin spent their adult careers working special ops for the U.S. government. After 40 years of it, they that all they wanted was a peaceful retirement in the country. Just as it seemed those dreams might happen, a planned series of events forced their overachieving adult children to return home to live with the folks. All four of them with spouses in tow, each driven from their homes by different aspects of a government that had gone crazy. Kai, a geneticist, and I hope I pronounced it right, Zanea, his wife, Gabriel, a bomb expert with their grandson, little Gabe, Jasmine, a forensic psychiatrist married to Scott, a CPA, joined their little Sid still living at home. Micah, an autistic savant, and Serena, an artist, and uncovering a secretive group of people called the Brotherhood, whose main goal appears to be to take the Earth's population down from 7 billion to 500 million within the next 10 years. Having infiltrated the governments of most developed countries and having released an airborne anti-fertility virus that rapidly spread across the planet, the Brotherhood succeeded in forcing a zero fertility rate. In the meantime, the economy of the U.S. tanked. The government sells all citizens who have debt into slavery within a system so harsh that civil disorder breaks out. Serenity Retreat Center is forced to become a slave labor camp, and the family is forced back into special service to save the center, their tribe, the United States, and humanity from destruction. This was not going to be a quiet retirement. This sounds absolutely amazing and right up the alley of what my husband reads. Uh, Well, I hope he gets a copy and reads. In fact, after we're done, if you want to give me your address, I'd be glad to send him an autographed copy. I don't have a problem with that. He could enjoy it. Well, I'm going to. I'll, I will I will send you the address, but I want to buy the uh, – is it on Audible yet? It is on Amazon. I haven't got it on Audible yet. I've been told that I need to do that, and I haven't tried it before. So this will be something new I'm going to try. Well, try it because he can no longer see. Oh, bless his soul. All righty. We so shall all find of his how books to... now I download on Audible for him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then I will look up but how to do that so he will be able to have it. Absolutely, because, ladies and gentlemen, this is this has so many twists and turns just in the synopsis. i got to read it. And this isn't usually the genre I read, but I'm going, oh, my word, I've got to have a scorecard to keep up, and why are they doing this, and and, and who's doing it, and when are they going to do it, and it grabbed me. So, no, y'all can't go yet because we're not over the show yet. It's called The Infant Conspiracy, and it's by J. Traveler Pelton. And then she's also got Kia Dante's Stratagem. That's the second book. It's published as well. And you've got a couple more out there. 
Yeah, the, the um, middle trilogy, which is the infant conspiracy, Caidante's stratagem, and the obligation of being Oberlin, are the middle generation. I was telling you about the seven generations. They're the middle generations right. and what they do. And then the first generation would be starting in um, the 1860s all the way up to where the present generation starts. So that's the past generation. And that one is um, that one starts with the Oberlin's Overland, which is the original Overland family traveling um, from Indiana and starting a home out in California. And since Dad is retired from Pinkerton's, which started in that era, he has to do work along the time using what was there. It had a lot of research behind the the old ones. I learned so much about what the technology was like there because in all my books I'm careful to keep with the technology of the time that they're written. Like the uh, present generation, the infant conspiracy, everything in there is present generation technology that exists right now that kind of scares me. Some of the stuff when I looked at it says, wow, I, I can't believe that. And then I looked at it and says, oh my, they're making that now. I guess I can use that. And some of the political things are in the government right now. Uh And when you look at it, it's like, oh, my goodness, the logical conclusion to this is this, and that's not good. we got to stop this. And part of my reason for writing it was like, I can't believe some of these senators and people believe this stuff and that they think we should shrink the population drastically and we should do it by doing this. And they're already working on an anti-fertility uh-huh. drug that is able to be sprayed over an area and ostensibly to control, you know, like, feral cats. The trouble is it's usable on humans. Uh, That's really strange stuff. And I said, I put all this in here. And I'm like, okay, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not – I'm just interested in this. is rather odd, some of these things that have come out. So all of them are available on Amazon. That's where I Definitely carry all my books. Read. And, and, and like, the, real quick, I want to read the the other one, the Oberlin's Overlin. I'm going to read you, okay. ladies and gentlemen, the synopsis on this one because it's fascinating to me. Um, this book introduces the Oberlin family and how they came to start an espionage business that lasted better than the mafia. From the beginning chapters in this historical novel, the Oberlin family is under siege, first by an unscrupulous, dishonorably discharged vet with an eye for a good farm, to the long road west to escape the Civil War, only to have Elijah become the government's point man for rebellion in San Francisco. Of course, if you worked for the U.S. Marshal's Office and Alan Pinkerton in your early career, such actions are not entirely unexpected. This book depicts a multicultural family as they struggle to make a new home and a new land, remaining true to their culture and spiritual principles. Elijah Oberlin is a retired government agent married to a Native American. Along their path, they have worked for the American Army, the U.S. Embassy, Pinkertons, and the U.S. Marshal. They face problems dealing with slavery, discrimination, and greed, and the people dealing with them. They try their best to get away from war, but find it follows 3,000 miles to their new homes. They find themselves in a rebellion in San Francisco trying to stop a collapse of the area's banking system and a hostile takeover of all the docks. 
At the same time, they are trying to set up their homesteads and pull together enough resources to keep them through the winter in the lower mountains. Ladies and gentlemen, J. Traveler Pelton, P-E-L-T-O-N. Go and look her up after the show. Now, Jeanette, we are yes. getting towards the end of our hour, and now two things I want to say. First, will you come back? Because we didn't touch on half the stuff I wanted to talk about. Sure, it'll be fine. But from your introduction, you're all booked all the way through December. That's tremendous. I cannot believe a lot of this I did not know that you had there. And I'm I'm like, wow, this is stunning. We've been a a little busy. (laughs) Oh, I guess you have. I I think it's tremendous. And I'm like, wow. Second of all, I want to say thank you for for being patient and for coming on the show. And don't hang up when the show goes off the air because there's some things I wanted to tell you. And third of all, tell all these lovely folks where you can be found. Okay. Well, as far as all of my books, they are under J. Traveler Pelton on Amazon. I also have a website that's just type in travelerpelton.com and it pops up. And I have a Facebook page that's called Traveler Pelton, and the other one is called Springhaven Croft, which is the name of our farm. Um, a croft is a small farm. Uh, the original term is Celtic, and it means a little land holding that's privately owned, and that's what we have. We have five acres, and it's we own it. Nobody else owns it, thank goodness. And uh, so we put a, uh, we're very proud of it. We put up a little uh, Facebook page on it. And... We put pictures of our baby animals. Right now our Siamese cats had Siamese kittens, and I've always put pictures up there on them. In about a month, the Crea are going to do, the alpaca are going to do what's called creation, because baby alpacas are called Crea, so when they're born it's called creation. And I'll be putting up pictures of my alpacas and stuff. Wait. But the Facebook so lady Traveler Pelt. So, ladies and gentlemen, when this show is over, go and look her up. Now, tomorrow night, we will be online again here at Off the Chain at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time. And y'all know that there's several things that I always say at the end of the show. One of them is people will forget your name. They will forget what you look like. They'll forget what you're wearing. But they will never, ever, ever forget how you make them feel. And it is my hope, my dream, my desire, my need that when you all leave this show, either as a guest or as a listener, that you go away understanding you are special to me. You are very important to me. Never forget that. Without you, there would be no show. Like I said, it's your show, not mine. I just facilitate it. Second of all, if you want to achieve greatness, ladies and gentlemen, please stop asking permission because no one will ever give it to you. You go out and you take it, you grab it, you work for it, you earn it. Because it is your dream to lose, and no one can steal it without your permission. So remember that as you go on your daily travels and as you are interacting with other people, and and know that it is because of each of you all that this show is very successful. I want to thank Jeanette, a.k.a. J. Traveler, Far Woman, Pelton, for being my guest. And yes, she will come back because we there's so much more to her. So with that being said, I'll set her up for after the first of the year. And I want to say thank each and every one of you, and we will see you again tomorrow night at Eastern Daylight Time when we will once again 
be doing our thing here on Off the Chain because, you know, we never know what's going to happen. It, that's why we call it Off the Chain. So with that in mind, guest Jeanette Pelton and I wish you both all a good night. Good evening. Okay, the show's off the air, but everything else, what we're saying is we're still going to show up in the archives. So it's like the outtakes of the movies. Folks are going to hear it. But what I wanted to tell you is when we get off here and the show goes up into archives, I'm going to tag you, put it up on my page and tag you, and that's one of my gifts to you is that you take it and run with it and post it everywhere so folks can listen to it. Then tomorrow I will be putting it up on Spreaker and SoundCloud and Podcast.com and Podcast Garden and Reverb Nation, and it automatically goes up on iTunes and YouTube and um, iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio, FM.com and uh, TuneIn Radio. But the the links that I put it up on, I will post Mm -hmm. those links on my page, and I will also tag you in them. Uh, we're heard you. on Spotify. You are quite welcome. Take it and run. We're heard on Spotify now, as well as Our oh. Heart Radio and Reverb Nation. So we are growing, and y'all are getting all kinds of wonderful exposure. That's grand. I had no idea it was that big. I it it showed up on my Facebook page and and uh, and it, it said, "Hey, have you looked into this? This would be this might be fun to do." And I had no idea it was that big. It just said, "Yeah, you know, I've never done a podcast. I think I'll try that. That'll be great. I I love to do new things." And I'm like, "Okay, let's do this." And I had no idea it was this big. That's stunning. It's huge, and it's getting bigger every day. And it's because of y'all. And the thing is, Jeanette, what will happen is that is you become a regular on the show. We don't. I don't do a one and done. I bring people back because you get a following on the show. You can launch new books okay. here, new things you were doing, and people will will listen to you. And if they can't listen to you, they'll know you're going to be on a show at a certain time. They'll download that um, that podcast and they'll listen to it later. Well, Grant, that's amazing. So if I, it's you will funny. come back, I would appreciate. I'd be glad it. to come back. I think it's going to be fun. Oh, and the hour flies by, as you see. It just it went by so fast. Yes, it does. I didn't. I didn't exactly know. I'm sitting here thinking, well, do I prepare notes? What do I do? I have not done this before. <laughs> nope. I'm sitting here thinking, well, it's not hard. This is like when I'm talking to people in my practice, except they they aren't having the problems, and I'm just having fun talking to somebody. It's just so a I, conversation I between. Yes, yeah, just a conversation between two friends. That's what I tell everybody. Well, I didn't get to tell you tonight because we got off on other things. But people that come here that have never done a show before say, "What am I going to talk about for an hour?" Well, they don't know that I go and look them up and I find out little nuggets about them. And once I get them talking, it's it's just like tonight because people like to talk about things that are interesting to them, that they're passionate yes. about. And once you pull that out of them. The hour flies by. Yes, and it's marvelous. I enjoyed it. Well, thank you, my darling, and thank you so much for being on my show tonight. I appreciate you in your busy life spending an hour with me. You you helped me in, in more ways than one tonight. Well, good. I'm glad. I'm very glad I was able to help. Thank you, and I, I will, will send you. <laughs> Do you want to come back in January? We'll start the the huh? year off right with what? you. 
one. Because you should have some new books out by then, right? Oh, I should have two or three out by then because I've got one that's at the editor, one that is going to the editor tomorrow, and one that I'm waiting for my book cover person, lovely lady named Becca, to finish the book cover on it for me, and then I'll be having it out next week, actually. So, yeah. Okay. We'll have more by So January to date, I'll send you some dates and you tell me what's good for you. That sounds good to me. All right, my darling. Thank you so, so much. Welcome and God bless. You have a good evening. Same to you. You too. You're welcome. And we'll talk later. Good enough. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good night, honey.